going on, everybody? Monday morning review, Sunday review show for week eight here. Um, trying to think like thematically what we should uh, thinking about when it comes to the NFL right now. Well, I mean, what I would say is just the uncertainty at the top of the league and like who the elite teams are or whether there is a tiering necessarily at the top that came out this week with the results that we saw the lack of certainty there, the uncertainty there, which had been, you know, kind of papered over a bit or had been obscured a bit by records because you know people when their power rankings they love the win-loss record it's <laughs> basically it it's like you're just ranking teams by win-loss record and then shifting around a few things based upon whatever happened so going into this week we had the chiefs were at the top of almost every i would say um media power rankings that i saw out there because they've been playing well, because they're on a, you know, they look like they could be correcting things offensively, but mostly because they were six and one and the Eagles were also six and one. So they were two most of the place. And then other teams were much, much further down. The bills were still at the top of my rankings, but of course going into this last week, they were only four and three coming off of a loss there. Um, So they were, you know, I think an average of like eighth or ninth in media power rankings. Third, though, in betting market rankings, so it's closer to what I had. But I think the the basic gist is, like, you can make a case for a lot of these teams here for what's going on. So coming out of this week, we'll probably, I guess the record worshipers will put the Philadelphia Eagles as number one at seven and one, despite the fact that they, you know, barely beat the Commanders this last week. Um, If you want to take a very rudimentary metric like point differential they're at plus 52 right now in point differential so that trails a lot of teams um believe it or not the bills are number one as far as point differential even though they're only five and three they're at plus 86 points you have the ravens at 81 Eh, the ravens they've played some pretty poor competition so i'm still a little bit um skeptical on them and we'll discuss that a bit a bit more there uh, who else do we have? The Dolphins are at 67, so the Dolphins are still higher. Uh, the 49ers are at 78. I think people are going to be much, much lower on the 49ers after this three-game losing streak than I will be. And I'll discuss why they looked a little bit better by my numbers and what their results are here. Yeah, so, I mean, the 49ers are up there as having the third-best point differential right now. So all these teams are, like, above the Eagles. But the Eagles will probably be number one in a lot of different teams' power rankings. In fact, the Dallas Cowboys at plus 77 are above the Eagles right now. And are five and two. They've already had their buy, so they played uh, one less game so far. Um, Jaguars only plus thirty seven, and they're they're six and two, and they'll probably be creeping in the rankings and all that sort of stuff this week. But anyway, so I guess that would be my theme. My theme is people don't be too certain over who should be at the top or who should be in the top three or four or five. We got about five, six, maybe seven, maybe seven teams, maybe eight teams that all have some shot, maybe at jumping up to being the the top team in the NFL if others fall off. I mean, including in some ways the Cincinnati Bengals, right, who still are only uh, are four and three. So they're looking good on their playoff trajectory now um, and have negative point differential. But I guess there's some you know chance that they'll get into the mix too, along with all of these other teams. All right, enough uh, rambling here to start. Let's get into the games. I'm not going to start on Sunday night because, you know, we'll, we'll just throw that at the end. Because not really that interesting, going to be honest there. Um, But we can share and start with the early window of games. I'm going to skip over some of these and not spend too much time on them, just because, quite honestly, not exciting. A lot of these games here. I'm going to make this as big as possible for those of you watching on YouTube. If you're not watching YouTube, get up on it. Uh, Get your your, uh, analysis early. We're rolling here at 9 a.m. on Monday morning. 9 a.m. Eastern time. Um, okay, so let's let's go through here. We'll start. I'll just go in order of what I have here, even if there's not the most exciting games here. So we'll start Carolina versus Houston. 
a uh, little confirmation bias here. I remember that this is probably my favorite play of the week with the Texans as three and a half point favorites in Carolina. Uh, Carolina wins 15, 13, kind of an ugly game. The adjusted scores though, did have the Texans being a couple points better, but you know, whatever it's a coin. It was a coin flip type of situation where we're talking about what happened in this one. Uh, both teams were poor offensively. Big third and fourth down advantage for the Texans and then a special teams and turnover advantages for the Panthers in this one. I mean, again, success rates at 37 and 39%, but look at the yards per play. If you want to just say it's a very intuitive sort of metric, 4.1 yards per play for the Texans, 3.7 for the Panthers. Yikesy. Um yeah, just a p- pretty pretty bad game generally. I mean, the Panthers were actually okay dropping back to pass, but were horrible running the ball. And I assume there's a fumble in here. Let's look. No, I guess it's just a third and one was a problem on a on a conversion, so that hurt that hurt them. Uh, I don't see a fumble near the top here. There was a fumble for the Texans though. It was the most impactful play of the game. Um, Andrew Beck. That's what happens when tight ends get involved in the. I mean, not tight ends. But that's what happens when fullbacks get involved in the in the passing game. We had a fumble there. Um, some of the narratives coming out of this may be like Bryce Young played well versus CJ Stroud because of the numbers and how people like to look at numbers that exclude sacks, right? Um, but he lost 8.1 EPA on sacks. He took four sacks on first and 10, Bryce Young. So, in some ways, like his his efficiency was was good compared to normally. Like he had good efficiency. He had a lot of plays. He had forty five plays that he was involved in versus only thirty for Stroud. So he was much much more involved. But he didn't necessarily play that much better, I don't think, than C.J. Stroud in this game. At least by the numbers, it was more of a flat sort of thing. And that was kind of my thesis going into this game for why you might like the Panthers is that they're probably closer to being you know equal type of quarterbacks than you might think. Uh, Young showed a lot more upside in this game, but also had more mistakes. CJ Stroud, again, has been really, really good at avoiding mistakes so far this year. And I don't know what that means necessarily for his numbers. It probably means that when you look at him as being in the top 12, I think he still is for EPA per play. That might be a little bit overstated if it's based upon, you know, not making mistakes as opposed to driving value. Um, but just something to, to, to look at going forward. Maybe if we want to think about, the race for the number one pick. This is obviously more significant, this one, for the Bears than it is for the Panthers. Now, officially, the Panthers at one in six are out of having the number one pick. Instead, the Arizona Cardinals at one in seven have the number one pick. But I think, you know, Kyler Murray is going to come back. It seems like he's going to play. It seems like so. I, I, you know, Arizona obviously dramatically lowers, if not kills their chances of getting a number one pick or probably even a number two or number three pick if Kyler Murray comes back. So you have the Panthers sitting at one and six at the number two pick right now. So Chicago would still be there to get one of those top two quarterbacks that everyone seems to want this year, whether it's Drake May or uh, Caleb Williams. After that, though, we have Chicago, the Giants, the Patriots, all at two and six. You have the Packers, the Colts, the Broncos and the Rams. Oh, and the, and the commanders all at three and five. So if you look at all these different teams here near the top, like who could use a quarterback Arizona? I don't know. Again, I don't think they're going to be there. So I'll skip that question as to whether or not they should be looking for a quarterback. Cause I think you can make arguments either way for them. You have Chicago with the next couple of spots there having Carolina's pick and then having their own pick. Yes. I think they're definitely looking for a quarterback. The giants, should be looking for a quarterback. They're on the hook for about $40 million for Daniel Jones next year, no matter how it plays out. But the right way to do it would be to get that cheaper quarterback contract, write out the Daniel Jones thing, have him be your bridge next year, and then you can make a clean break after the 2024 season from Jones's contract. Patriots, yep, looking for a quarterback. Packers, yep, should be looking for a quarterback. They're in a little bit of a mini tailspin here with four straight losses. Uh, Colts, no. Broncos, yep. Rams, I don't know, probably, I guess. But the, I think they'll probably pull out to be a little bit better than three and five this season. And then Commanders, yeah. So you got a lot of teams who are in the mix there for looking for a quarterback, potentially trading up, all that sort of stuff. So 
that the Bears are in pretty good shot now with the second and third and second and third position right now. But we'll wait and see how that plays out for the rest of the season. That's going to be one of the interesting storylines for a lot of different fan bases this year with those quarterbacks who are coming out. All right, next game, uh, Cowboys versus the Rams. Uh, this is a blowout. A little bit closer according to my adjusted scores. Actually, quite a bit closer according to my adjusted scores. 23-point uh, differential, but only seven by the adjusted scores. Let me see what's going on here. Okay, the reason that it's a bit closer is that all of these kind of more high-variance advantages that teams could have all went to the Cowboys in this game. So, you know, a slightly better turnover advantage, about 2.1 expected points. A big third and fourth down advantage at almost 12 expected points. And then a special teams and penalty advantage at 6.4 expected points. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think I think seven for my adjusted score differential is probably too low. When you look at the success rates of these teams, the Cowboys were over 50 percent. The Rams were only a little bit over 40 percent. It wasn't like that fluky. It wasn't just a turnover dominant sort of story here. Um, But you did have a blocked punt safety. And then the subsequent play was a 63 yard return. Uh, I don't know if you call it a punt return or a kick return, because I think it was a draw. I think it was a punt on the you know, on this, on the kickoff, quote unquote kickoff after the, um, the safety there. So that gave him a good special teams advantage. Uh, Cowboys efficient. Dak Prescott continues to be efficient, throwing the ball quietly. He's had some bad performances this year that people really paid attention to in particular, the game against the 49ers, I think, which kind of derailed somewhat of his chances of being looked at as an MVP type of guy, but Hey, you know, the guy's tied for sixth in EPA per play. And again, with all this chaos at the top of the NFL, the Cowboys at five and two are in the mix for, you know, competing with for number one seed in the NFC and one of the best records in the NFL. So you never know what can happen as far as the turnaround is is there. Um, He did have a costly interception, though, in this one. But the difference is, you know, they were up 26 to three at the point at that point in time versus uh, a pick six for. Matthew Stafford, where they were down three to 10. Uh, they were down by a touchdown at that point was just really, really, really bad and uh, kind of crushed their chances. there. eight expected points lost on that sort of play. Um, yeah, Dak Prescott. So he had, he had almost half a point per play. He was adding, even though he had about 12 expected points lost on that huge interception and three kind of critical sacks. So that just shows you like how high end efficient he was against the Rams defense, which have been pretty good so far this year. Um, CD lamb probably should note him uh, 12.5 expected points when targeted on 14 targets, 12 catches, 158 yards and two touchdowns. Matthew Stafford, the Stafford uh, shine is definitely off. I was, I was part of the group that was saying, Hey, this guy's playing a lot better than his numbers and playing really, really well to start the season. Now. Yeah. Hasn't been so hot. Starting to trail off a bit here. We'll see what ends up happening the last, the rest of the year. I think the Rams are kind of settling in this. Yeah, they're closer to an average team than what we thought they were going to be coming into the season. But now at three and five, they're behind the eight ball a little bit. They're probably unlucky. They should probably be about four and four ish. I don't know. It's going it's to be tough to make make some noise for them. Probably looking at a postseason rebuild for uh, for them after this year. If they can get into the mix, especially for for getting a quarterback, but you know you got to check on the Rams' picks. The Rams ever have any of their own picks? I think they do next year, though. Do they? Yeah, the Rams have their own pick. Congratulations, Rams! You will make a first round pick unless you trade it off. You punt it off here somehow <laughs> at the trade deadline, uh, or before or before the the before the draft next year. All right, uh, Vikings Packers. I mean, the big story here before we get into the the numbers of the game is Kirk Cousins suspected torn Achilles injury i think it's been confirmed at least Schefter set out sent out a tweet saying you know they pretty much know almost immediately for achilles and achilles is the most easily diagnosable injury acl is pretty diagnosable too you can just do it via feel versus having to actually go in and confirm it but they're going to confirm with the mri i'm not sure if that's been done or not at this point um yeah, I mean, it's kind of, I've always been a little bit, I've always been a Kirk Cousins defender because he's looked better via the numbers than what you might think. And I know this might be a galaxy brain sort of take, but the Vikings at four and four, Kirk Cousins kind of proving to a lot of people, 
I'm not sure how much of it has to do with the fact that he was on that quarterback series and people like that Netflix quarterback series, how much of it do the fact that he was playing well this year uh, by the eye test and the numbers and the team was kind of letting him down around him. Um, now these last you know couple of games, few games, even without Justin Jefferson, they've been having some of their best offensive games of the year. So if you want to say, oh, he's being propped up by his receivers, that wasn't necessarily the case. Uh, a recognition for how the hits he takes and all that sort of stuff. He's probably at an all-time high, I would say, reputationally. And I think he's tied with Prescott and Jalen Hurts for his efficiency so far this year. And that's with some fumbles, some bad fumble loss luck so far this year. So I don't know. If you want to think about an upside from a reputational standpoint, Cousins going out right at this point, probably, uh, you know, very, very friendly view in the in the the last impression in potentially in Vikings fandom if they move on from him. Uh, this is the last year of his contract, other than some some void years on the end, and they move on from it from in this one. Eh, you know that again. That's the, that's the positive. That's the positive story here. What was interesting in this game, and this has been the case for the last couple of games without Justin Jefferson, is maybe their numbers of the Vikings have been a little bit better than what the actual results were because of the fact that they've been getting a lot of big plays here. Um, but you know, we, we got to a lot of third and fourth down plays here, but you know, we got to give him credit 90, 94th percentile as far as EPA per play dropping back to pass. So we got to give him credit there. Uh, but they did go 11 for 18 on third downs. So they've had this third down. They've been on a hot, hot streak here as far as third downs are concerned, uh, and making those big plays, whether it was the 49ers last week or the pa- or against the Packers this week, that would have cooled off. Uh, but obviously, a lot of things are going to cool off with who knows who at quarterback here. I don't know. Did the Vikings try to make a trade? Did they try to pick up Matt? Did they try to coax Matt Ryan out of the booth? Did they go for Carson Wentz? Uh, <laughs> Carson Wentz, I don't know. Um, Wentz tangentially involved in the... Sam Bradford trade, right? That the Vikings made a while back because Wentz came in as a rookie. So, um, yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll 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 pay attention to this one. Two missed field goals for the Vikings, and they still pretty much dominate this game. Uh, yeah, things are off. The shine's off of Jordan Love. Jordan Love has gone from you know top ten efficiency quarterback, maybe even top five. I think maybe even top three. The first few weeks of the season to now he's gone negative in EPA per play. His three of his last four games, he's fallen. He's looking like he's going to fall out of the top 20 in total efficiency pretty soon. He has the third worst completion percentage versus expectation. And that was kind of like the signal that we had earlier this year that maybe his numbers weren't quite as good as he has been playing because his completion percentage versus expectation was very low. And, you know, you can take it or leave it, that sort of metric. Sometimes I think it adds a lot of value. Sometimes it can be a little bit deceptive, but it's a good check. It's a good confirmation if a person, if a quarterback's playing well, to see that also be strong. And when it's not, then especially when we don't have a lot of history for a quarterback like Jordan Love, we start to worry about it a bit. And he's falling down here. I think Packer fans are probably like already punting on the season at this point, probably punting on Jordan Love at two and five. You know, they're in position to maybe go and get. Uh, quarterback who do they have here coming up rams steelers chargers lions chiefs Mm, they end the season with the bears that'll be an interesting one bears versus packers do you think that'll be like playing for justin fields and um jordan love playing against each other to see if they can win and take their teams out of (laughs) the race for for a top pick there at the end um playing for their own jobs potentially if they can get out of the way of of the picks there. I mean, not the hardest schedule, but not the easiest either for them. So they're in the mix. They're in the mix to be, to be there. Um, Saints versus Colts. I think this is like a sneaky, important game. Not that the Colts really have much of a chance of doing anything this year, but the Saints definitely do now. Okay. Even after this victory, the Saints are only four and four, but I still think they're clearly the best team in the division. The Bucs are maybe close. The Falcons may be close. But I feel like with the uncertainty at quarterback when it comes to the Falcons, I would rather, like, say if a, if a team's going to be consistent enough, the, 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 second, the second, like, you know, half 
of the season. I'd rather have Derek Carr in that offense there for the Saints than Desmond Ritter there. And the same thing even with Baker Mayfield to a degree. Where I think Mayfield's played well, but he's just been good on third down really so far. If you look at point differentials, they're the only team in the division with the positive point differential. Uh, they have, you know, super easy schedule so far this year and super easy schedule still left to go. I mean, look at these, look at these games they have coming up for the Saints here. Bears, Vikings without Kirk Cousins, Falcons, who knows who's the quarterback there. Um, <laughs> if it'll be Heineke time by that point. Lions, okay, it's not, not, not great, but at home. Uh, Panthers, Giants, Rams, Bucks, Falcons. Wow, that is crazy. Absolutely nuts as far as how easy this schedule is here. So the Saints, you know, Saints are Saints are looking at the playoffs. I got to see what are the what are the playoff odds like to make the playoffs right now for the Saints. You got to have like even though they're only at a 500 record, they got to have pretty pretty good odds, right? To make the Saints. Let's, let's see to make the playoffs now. The Saints are yeah minus 150 for yes. So, yeah, they're skewed towards making the playoffs. And then we look at division winner, even though they're tied here with um, they're tied in record with the Falcons, who also have an easy schedule. Everyone does. And the Bucks are three and four. So they're only half a game behind. So even though there's a lot of competition there, let's see Win the division. Actually, they're slightly behind the Falcons. Yeah, I don't know. I, I would I would fade that. I would go for the. Uh, for the Saints as being the leader here. But anyway, so that was kind of like what mattered in this game. The Saints have, you know, the start the offense has started to look decent the last couple of weeks. And I think that's important. Like they have a decent enough defense. If Derek Carr can start to like regress back to his league average-ish sort of efficiency, because he's been below that so far this year, yeah, they could probably make some noise. About a 50% success rate in this game. That's fine. Uh, Taysom Hill getting mixed in here. Taysom Hill was a big factor in this one. 63 yards on nine carries, including two touchdowns. So that was big for them. Uh, very, very high pass efficiency, a little bit like skewed on that number. They were about the 98th percentile and drop back efficiency for the saints because they had some big plays, but Hey, Shahid, this dude's real. This dude is tracking the ball and getting open down the field. Um, when that happens, even if it's Derek Carr, even if it's, you know, Alex Smith with Tariq Hill, even if it's one of these other guys, Tua with Tariq Hill, one of these guys you think is not necessarily a deep ball thrower. Um, they can start throwing the ball deep. You know, it just won't be at a high volume like you might get for a Patrick Mahomes or a Josh Allen or someone like that. But it can be highly, highly efficient uh, on a more moderate volume when guys get open down the field. So Shahid, this dude can play. Huge. I mean, I think these guys are like hugely, hugely valuable guys who get open like that down the field. Um, Minshew was fine in this game, but because the Saints office was so good, you know, the, his flat EPA wasn't going to be enough, basically, on this one. Um, yeah, Derek Carr in this game, 9.5 yards per attempt. So it's a pretty solid number because of the fact that he didn't have to draw back a lot because they made all these big plays, about half a point EPA per play for, for Carr on this one. So Saints, again, that they were, I've kind of been high on them all season. This is a number that has a little confirmation bias there, so I'll take it. Um, Carr, 12.3 yards on his A dot in this one. That's a huge number. Uh, has to be one of the bigger numbers for Derek Carr in his career. Okay, Dolphins, Patriots. Well, the Patriots had their little mini run the last couple of weeks. Now it's over. Um, neither team was that great from a success rate perspective. It's kind of interesting that the Dolphins have been so bad running the ball recently. They must have had a fumble in here. Okay, so you got a two-a fumble. Yeah, well, I guess that drove down their rushing efficiency quite a bit, probably with that with that fumble. Um, but still. Success rate standpoint, under 35% running the ball. They were like had all these explosive plays running the ball. And I don't know if it's because A-Chan's been out necessarily, but they're they're not getting it going. They're not getting it going here. They were three for three on fourth down, though, which helped them dramatically in this one. Patriots only one of nine on third down. So that's why it's probably a little bit closer, but neither team, you know, the Patriots did not play well enough to get anything going or to deserve anything here. Uh, Waddle and Hill, both 100 yards and a touchdown. Jalen Ramsey, interception. That'll be interesting to see how big of a play that is going forward. Mac Jones, back to his, like, make back-breaking mistakes, Mac Jones here. That interception cost them 18% win probability and seven expected points. So, yeah, not good for Mac Jones there. 
maybe he this is more like who he's been is the backbreaking mistake guy than the low upside no don't make mistake guy that you might think he profiles as and it's just not going to work for the Patriots this year okay game for Tua uh, it's interesting that he continues to hang really tough when it comes to uh, MVP odds like he's actually number one at DraftKings here still I don't know if I get it. Like, there's a lot of games where it's just kind of like, okay, he was he was okay. Like, he was good in this one. But, you know, there's some dudes running pretty open. <laughs> this, I mean, he continues to hit Tyreek Hill down the field. But dudes are running open. I mean, he's been fine, right? But I just can't imagine, unless he's, like, overwhelmingly leading the NFL in efficiency at this point, halfway through the season, to make him number one in the MVP odds. Uh, I mean, Dolphins are 6-2, and two, all that sort of stuff. But... I don't know. Patrick Mahomes, Jalen Hurts, Lamar Jackson are next. Josh Allen's after that. I don't know. I think like Allen or Mahomes, you had to be a lot more confident in their performance going forward. I think. I think. Or at least in their perception, right? If they can for, if they if they combine performance with perception, they'll be they'll be pretty pretty solid this year. But anyway, can't complain too much about Tua. Good game for him in this one. Steelers, Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, didn't watch a whole lot of this one. So Jags were okay. Trevor Lawrence was good in particular in this game. Uh, although he had a, he had a, just a God awful pick on first and goal, you know, inside the 10 yard line. It gave me vibes of the first half of 20 of 2022. Like when he was making these, he was playing really well outside of like a soul crushing mistake every single game. Lots of them in like very favorable expected point situations. So first or second down near the goal line, you know, first and 10 on the opponent's side of the field that he would just throw these picks and you're like, what are you doing? And they'd be so massively negative because you're coming into it in such a good contextual position. Uh, he did that in this game, but it didn't matter because Steelers, well, not good, not good Steelers. Uh, in this game, Kenny Pickett was knocked out, but he was awful anyway, uh, so far in this game. And like all these mistakes that the Jaguars made, big, big mistakes, gave about 14 expected point advantage via turnovers for the Steelers. And they still only scored 10 points. They couldn't, they just couldn't do anything. You had the Evan Ingram fumble, the Lawrence, like I said, absolutely disgusting interception in the end zone. Um, you had those tank Bigsby fumble so many, so many bad plays here. Um, so Mitch Trubisky had to come in, you know, uh, whoops, I put Kenny Pickens on here. I wrote up Kenny Pickens. <laughs> I knew that was going to happen eventually. Kenny Pickett. Um, I don't know, man, not looking good. Let's, I mean, I'm not saying like Trubisky stinks. So we're not, we're not saying like Trubisky should be, they should turn to Trubisky or something like that, but I don't know. You got to think about potentially moving on, right? If you have the chance for Pickett this year. He is currently 28th in EPA per play between Josh Jobs and Mac Jones. You know, below Fields, Ritter, Minshew, Howell, all these different guys. Uh, I don't know if I see it. I just don't. I mean, it's not that they have the greatest, like, offensive surroundings for him, especially in the offensive line, but it's not that bad, right? Like you kind of need more from from who's going to be your quarterback of the future, whether they'll be able to do that or not. I think they'll probably scrape together enough wins. I mean, they're still four and three. Jesus, how are they still? They're four and three, and they have a negative thirty point, thirty four point differential. It's crazy. I remember earlier this year by the adjusted scores, I would have had them as being winless, <laughs> even when they were playing. They were playing fairly well. Um, that might still be the case now. All right, let's get into Titans Falcons Titans fans. Let me give you some reasons to be excited, and you should be, and I'm sure everyone's excited there with Will Levis in his four touchdowns, and maybe, you know, eh, maybe pour a little bit of, not cold water, but I'll pour lukewarm water onto the fire. How about that? Um, but he was kind of, because he was so dependent in the value that he added on those four touchdown passes. But you say like, oh, well, you can't just say, oh, if you take the touchdown passes away, he wasn't good. Yeah, I know. I get that. Like, <laughs> you can't just say, if you take away all the good stuff, he wasn't good. Um, but success rate was a little low for the team generally. 
passing success rate was under 30%. Um, so outside of those touchdowns, like they weren't able to generate consistent value. Uh, so that's something to think about. Again, 16 expected points generated on those four touchdowns. And then Levis had a total of 3.9 EPA. So you can figure out there. Um, he was highly negative outside of those touchdowns. Again, you know, you can't just take away the positives. I'll give you that. Um, was Ritter, let's look at the other side. Was Ritter benched or was he not benched? I don't know. I mean, Ritter, the, my Ritter journey this year has been starting the season. Like, I don't get it why they're sticking with him when they have everything else built around him. They're going into year three of this regime that they have of Fontenot as the GM and Arthur Smith is the coach. Seems like Arthur Smith has a lot of influence. He may be, you know, the top dog over there uh, telling Fontenot what to do when he's executing things. Like, I didn't quite get the Ritter thing, not at least trying to have someone to compete. I mean, Heineke's fine, but I guess I'm a little bit low on Heineke versus maybe his impression, even from winning some games where he wasn't playing that well last year for the Commanders. Uh, and then Ritter started off the season throwing a lot of turnover-worthy plays that were not being intercepted, and the Falcons were winning games, and it was kind of like some fans were saying, God, this guy is god-awful. Um, and then others saying, oh, he's showing signs to to get better. Um, I will say, like, I haven't seen a quarterback who is a third-round pick who hasn't really pl he's played pretty poorly by the numbers uh, be so universally loved by the social media cool kids slash film hipsters out here. Uh, so much like training wheels for Desmond Ritter. Anytime he does something well, they're like, oh, look, look he's, 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 he has the potential to progress, right? And I think that's the problem when you have confirmation bias and when you do like a film-based analysis where it's not a very... Um, systematic way of incorporating all the different data and evidence into an opinion is that for almost any quarterback, I mean, maybe not Zach Wilson, <laughs> honestly, but for almost any quarterback, like you can find some plays that look halfway decent and say, okay, this guy can't progress. The problem is like, is just not having enough of those plays. That's what that becomes the problem. Like, you can point to any quarterback and you can pick out what you like. Or if you don't like a quarterback, you can find the bad plays. You know? And that's when the confirmation bias and the non-systematic film evaluation and sticking to your draft priors all becomes an issue here. Uh, that being said, I kind of got higher on Desmond Ritter as some people were getting really, really low on him because of the fumbles. I guess maybe he's just a fumble-prone type of quarterback, but that's a little bit more fluky for me. So I thought, okay, you know, he's been playing okay by the numbers, even though the win-loss stuff was going against him sometimes. Like he had some upside to what he was doing outside of just awful mistakes that he was making. And this one, really, really bad. So five sacks on only 18 dropbacks. And he lost a fumble. So he was losing half a point every single time he dropped back. He got this concussion symptoms. They checked him. They cleared him to come back in, but he didn't come back in. So I didn't hear the Arthur Smith post-game press conference where Arthur Smith is going to be like all grumpy and yell at everyone and be like, oh, you guys think that this and that. Blah, blah. You know, he had that clip that went semi-viral where he was defending Desmond Ritter saying, why are people so hard on him versus others? Well, I don't know. Like, it would be funny if he benched him right after right after being, oh, everybody out there doesn't understand. They don't watch the film. They don't know what's going on here. Uh, uh. What is this don't watch the film nonsense? Like, do they think that... They're the only people who have eyeballs or something. Like, come on, dude. Stop with this. They don't watch the film. Uh, okay, that's enough of that rant there. Let's get back to Levis here. So if what was funny about Vrabel is he actually stuck to his pledge to play both uh, Levis and Malik Willis in this game. And then Willis came in and fumbled the snap on his first play, which is the most negative play of the game for the Titans. About 20% win probability down the tank and more than six points in expected points down the tank. Uh, I guess he had a play later on where he where he didn't lose the ball. So congratulations. Um, well, what's interesting also is that the most efficient quarterback in this game, believe it or not, was Taylor Heineke on a per play basis. I don't know if he was good or not. I mean, his completion percentage over expectation was about flat, but 9.7 a dot. So like he's one of these guys where it's like Taylor Heineke plays like Brett Farm if he Brett Favre if he was tiny and had a bad arm. <laughs> 
Like he could actually do some stuff though. Like he can make some pretty interesting plays sometimes. Um, it's just normally like he doesn't have the skills to, he, he can't, he doesn't have, he can't like he's writing checks. He can't cash sometimes with plays that he's going for. Um, and then it ends up being negatives there, but still he added about a quarter of a point per play. He came out after the game saying, no, this is Desmond's team. Eh, we'll see what happens. If they lose another game, it could be all over for Desmond Ritter. And Will Levis, um, the positives here is like a big A dot, so he's stretching the field. That's kind of a, a function of the like this Titans offense when it's running well is part of that. And that's kind of also a function of the Titans offense when it's running well. Is, you know Maybe I won't harp too badly on their poor success rate. Is like They kind of are a lower success rate, high EPA offense, if you think about it. Like they're going to make big plays on the play-action passing game, playing off of Derrick Henry, uh, but not necessarily consistently move the ball. Even though his completion percentage over expectation was 9% over expectation, he was just heaving stuff. 12.2 yard A dot in this one. Uh, also a positive for Levis, and I have to point this out because I think this was like one of the biggest potential flaws in his game was the fact that he took a lot of sacks. So two sacks for 12 yards. And this is an offense that produces a decent amount of sacks with play action. Play action normally hold onto the ball longer and sometimes you can actually take higher sacks on that, or at least you take a lot of hits as a quarterback there. So that's good. That's good for him. Levis is like, I was definitely higher than on him than the crowd of like film evaluators. I wasn't as high on him as people saying that he was going to go fourth overall, but then I think he was a steal in the beginning of the second round. And I didn't quite get people's certainty that he wouldn't be good. Cause if you're a multi-year starter in college and you have a year where you play pretty well, even if it's not your final year. And I know his final year is like his big time throw percentage was really low. His turnover worthy plays were high. His sack rate when pressured was really, really high. But if you go, if you reverse back a year, those numbers all look pretty okay. You know, like he looked like he was on a trajectory for, for being a, a higher pick and he has tools and he can move too. Like he can move better than I think people give him credit for. And he has tools. So he reminded me of like a poor man's Justin Herbert type of feeling that was coming out of the draft. He wasn't going to be drafted as high, but he had the multi-year starter. He had at least a season in the past that he looked pretty good versus his final season where he didn't look as good. Now, Herbert had a really bad final season. Well, not really bad, but he had a somewhat bad final season where that's why they had all these wild takes when he was coming out. The people were saying that he couldn't play quarterback and he was an F draft pick. I mean, amongst even like analytically friendly types um, when he was that high of a pick. So again, I'm not saying he's Justin Herbert or anything like that. I'm just saying he had some of the similar maybe misconceptions about who guys can be. We got to be humble and say, hey, he's a multi-year starter. He had some good years in college. He's got tools. Maybe he can be good. Like he has enough maybes in there to be plenty good enough as an early second round pick. So uh, props to you, Titans, for pulling the trigger on him. A lot of other teams probably should have done that this last year. Even if they were going to, you know, wait, wait for this quarterback class. Well, guess what? You know, not everyone is going to get one of the top two quarterbacks this year. Um, Washington versus Philly. So the Eagles, you know, scrape out a victory here. Uh, I had this about it being even, and the reason is third and fourth down, just massive, massive differences here. Uh, they went two for two on fourth down. The commanders failing on their one try, so that's about 12.5 points in that direction. Again, you have the, you know, the mistakes for Howell. Interception was not good, but the, the Eagles also kept the commanders in the game with a couple of fumbles on their own, and surprisingly were really bad running the ball. Now, the fumbles is, is what took them down. But even from a success rate standpoint, 21st percentile success rate rushing the ball for the Eagles. Just not, not good. Um, the Commanders actually had a higher success rate offensively in this game. And that's why they look better. And that's why it looks like about a, you know, a push, a draw, a tie sort of game versus an Eagles win in this one. But, you know, how, what are you going to say? He had a good game but not a great game. The big interception was a killer. Only one sack, so that was good, versus being taken down 40 times in the previous seven games. But still, even with only one sack, he lost about nine expected points on negatives. So with that sack and the interception, I don't know, it's just hard. It's hard to generate enough value to get over that. He's being asked to do a ton, though, 
It's it's almost in crazy to me. Not crazy like it's actually crazy, but crazy that Bienemy is doing this, passing the ball so much. I mean, 58 plays for Sam Howell in this game. Their pass rate versus expectation was 17% over expectation in this game. They are leading the NFL in pass rate. They're leading the NFL. The commanders are leading the NFL at pass rate over expectation, passing about 9.3% over expectation. I mean, with Sam Howell, with a fifth-round quarterback in his second year, eh, I don't know. I mean, I think you get a better chance of maybe hitting like a, a high-variance outcome and winning some of these games than you would if you just ran the ball. And they, you know, they weren't great running the ball. They were okay. And they were better passing the ball in this game. So it almost worked in this game. But I do think it's uh, it's interesting. And I wonder how much shit that uh, B is getting from Commanders fans who may be looking at some of these games and they're just saying, oh, man, if we just didn't have those mistakes from Howe and he wasn't, you know, going dropping dropping back to pass so often, maybe we could be winning these games. I don't know. I think it was the right formula in this one. They just, you know, did, didn't pull it off. But I guess from the Eagles' perspective, like Jalen Hurts was great. His numbers were were, were great. But... They didn't run the ball well. Their defense was pretty vulnerable in ways to Sam Howe. They didn't sack Sam Howe when anyone can sack Sam Howe. So, again, another one of these teams are like, okay, they're playing okay, but I don't know. Like They're not as elite as their record may be when everyone has them number one in the power rankings this week. Uh, let's go to the late window. Actually, the late window, I'm, I'm, in, I'm including the, the Giants Jets in this one because I forgot to put them in my early window piece. Talk about an ugly game. Uh, 13-10 in overtime. I, I tweeted out a mixtape of Thomas Morstead. Morstead? 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 Their punter for the Jets. <laughs> it's a mixtape of his punts because he had three punts down within the 10-yard line, within the five-yard line. That it was funny that he's like the MVP of the game. So the Jets won this one by three. They were the better team, but, you know, we're talking about better of the god-awful teams. You know, Tyrod Taylor got knocked out in this one. We had quarterback of who, who's the quarterback here? I have it written down somewhere. Tommy DeVito sounds like a made up name. Sounds like a, uh, a Sopranos extra that they just they brought in off of the streets of Jersey straight into um, the huddle and, <laughs> and put out there. Uh, their pass rate versus expectation was twenty six percent under expectation. Giants were just keeping their fingers crossed and hoping they could just run their ball to victory. Saquon had some nice runs in this game. Uh, awful success rates for both teams here, man, the efficiency, like the efficiency chart here or, or table here, pass percentile for EPA per play 0.1%, 0.1 percentile jets looking good at 11th percentile, the jets running the ball third percentile, the giants running the ball 47th percentile. So I guess that explains why they were, uh, running the ball 30% more than what you would have expected based upon the score. Uh, top 10 most impactful plays here. Two Zach Wilson fumbles right at the top. Then a touchdown from Zach Wilson. 50-yard touchdown, but, you know, let's, let's dig into it here. It's 50-yard catch and run by Brees Hall, where it was a one-yard, uh, one one air yard <laughs> on that throw. Then Zach Wilson takes a sack. That's the next thing here. Two missed field goals from Graham Gano. How, how far were they? These were very makeable distances. Wow. Those are, uh, again, I didn't really watch a lot of this, so not looking good there. Uh, DeVito gets a touchdown. Again, Barkley had a couple of big rushes here that that seemed to matter a bit. Um, yeah, Zach Wilson's sack is on here. Man, what an ugly game. Zach Wilson is, of any, of all, so he lost about a third of a point per drop back in, in this one, which relatively made him look good. Negative uh, 15% completion percentage versus expectation. I mean, Zach Wilson right now is dead last in efficiency for any quarterback with at least 120 dropbacks this year. Yet, somehow, I don't know how. I really can't explain it. The Jets are winning games. I mean, obviously their defense is part of it, but I think they've also run up against some, you know, poor offensive performances on the other side, whether it's Russell Wilson looking bad, um, yeah, three straight wins here. I mean, think about this. Like, Wilson looked okay versus the Chiefs in that game, even though I think he was more mediocre. 
and slightly bad versus looking good. But people thought he looked good there. And then he's won three straight games. So I don't know. Maybe if you're not watching it or if you have real, you know, uh, the beer goggles on or whatever, when you're watching Zach Wilson, you might think, hey, we're winning games. It's a winning formula. No, it's, it's really not. Um, I think they'll that'll be exposed pretty soon when you have the Chargers, Raiders. Eh, I don't know about the Raiders. But the Bills, the Dolphins, all coming up on the schedule. We got the Dolphins twice this season, uh, still remaining. Things could get a bit ugly if this defense cannot keep things up there. Uh, Seattle, Cleveland. Seattle's not one of these teams where, I mean, they're okay, but people are starting to, like, again, we're, we're just like searching. We're searching at this point for any team to believe in because no teams are giving us anything to believe in. So you look and you say, oh, well, the Seahawks are five and two. Hey, maybe they can win the division. No, they're they're not as good as the 49ers. I don't think they're going to win that division. Um, I mean, you beat P.J. Walker at home barely on the last drive. I mean, you look pretty bad offensively, although, you know, it's the Browns defense is good, all that stuff, but you look pretty bad. P.J. Walker continues to, like, make big mistakes. The biggest mistake of the game, a fumble, uh, six EPA lost. Then he made an interception on that last drive that they have to give the ball back he made another interception i mean the guy's making like mistake 15 epa lost imagine you're playing against pj walker he gifts you 15 expected points by mistakes that he's making he made some positive plays though too so he was about flat in epa but still and then you're barely winning and you get to five and two and people are like oh maybe they can make some noise i don't know they weren't good though generally i don't think in this game success rate was meh not that much better than the Browns. Geno Smith, about flat EPA. Again, Geno Smith might be the biggest differential between how people think he's playing this year and how his numbers look so far this year. I mean, he makes nice throws, but then, again, mistakes are an issue. And they're, But they're winning games, and he makes some nice throws, so he can kind of have that it factor, magic dust, whatever people think is being sprinkled on his performance so far this year. Because when we go to the old expected points per play. Geno Smith is 16th below Russell Wilson, below Jimmy Garoppolo, below a lot of people. So he's been okay. But I think most people might think that he's playing a little bit better this year in a year where quarterbacks haven't been that good. Uh, okay. Baltimore, Arizona. You know, I've been negative on Baltimore. I did. I think Arizona was one of my picks by the numbers last week. This was a game that'll go down as a bad beat. Ravens betters at nine and a half because they had the 10 point lead. There was the onside kick. There was a field goal that the Cardinals kicked at the end of the game, which didn't really get them the win, but blah, blah, blah. Um, but actually the adjusted scores show this one as being like, it should have been much closer. If you just look at the game in totality, you can't always look at a game and say, what's been a bad beat or not based upon what happens at the very end of the game. There are lots of things that accumulate during the game that can give you a point differential that you don't necessarily deserve. So the adjusted scores are a little bit closer on this one because the success rates were about equal. I mean, the Cardinal success rate was actually a little bit better. They just had a bad turnover differential in this one. And the Ravens were, their rushing efficiency was through the roof. Passing was not that good. Again, the Lamar Jackson thing, everyone's like, oh, this offense and he's turning things around. He had that huge game against the Lions it's like every other week we say Lamar Jackson, they figure things out offensively, this new offense, he's playing like an MVP, and then the next week kind of has a dud-ish sort of performance, but they get W's. So again, when you get a W and you throw up a dud, people don't care. Or you throw up a mediocre game, I'll say. Not a dud, but a mediocre game. People look past it. When you have a mediocre game, same mediocre game, but you lose, people are calling for your head sometimes for quarterbacks. They're six and two, even though Lamar Jackson is, I mean, he's been fine this year. He's in the top 10 in efficiency. He's just not, you know, on the level of some other guys where people may be putting him this year. Uh, and it, it, big mistakes for Dobbs too. A couple of interceptions, just crush them. Most, most negative plays of the game. Failure on fourth and one crushing. Uh, Justin Tucker missed field goal. What's going on here? I didn't see that. Was that a block? Uh, what else happened here? Dobbs took a big sack. Yeah. I mean, Dobbs, 13.5 EPA lost to mistakes. But he almost matched Lamar Jackson as an efficiency in this one. So 
again, Ravens are just another one of these teams where people are going to be forced to move them even higher on their power rankings. I think they were ranked fourth in most places last week or third. People might look to move them even higher. Maybe people move them above the Chiefs if people want to get really spicy. Uh, the two teams at six and two, uh, they were already a team that was kind of overvalued by media versus the markets. And that will probably continue this week. Okay, Denver KC, what happened in this one? Well, the story here is that I had it being a flat point differential versus a 15-point loss. So if you have any positives to take away from this as a Chiefs fan, you might say, oh, well, you know, both teams were just kind of bad offensively and turnovers went dramatically against the Chiefs in this one. And also special teams went against the Chiefs with the muffed punt. So big high-variance plays from the Broncos in this one where both teams were kind of mediocre. Actually, the success rate, though, passing the ball, like the Chiefs were at 47% versus only 35% for the Broncos. Rushing the ball, they were trash. So that was that was a big differential in the favor of the Broncos in this one. Uh, worst performance in EPA per play at negative, about a quarter of a point per play for Patrick Mahomes. For, or for the Chiefs' offense, just overall, in the Patrick Mahomes era. So since, since all the way 2018 till now, they've never been this bad in a game. Uh, fumbles and their recoveries are some of the highest variance plays in the NFL, and they lost all three of theirs for about 14 expected points. So that's one reason why the numbers are close. Now, not even in the numbers, at least according to my eye test and viewing test, was a fourth down and two failure where I think it kind of went through Sky Moore's hands and he should have been a 26-yard touchdown. That would have been hugely important, not only in swinging the win probability, but swinging some of the efficiency in this game. Uh, Wilson, Russell Wilson, six sacks and a lost fumble got him about to flat EPA in this game. So he did, you know, gain some expected points with scrambling and with, and with passing, but not very good. Mahomes lost about 0.15 EPA per play. So not awful, awful considering the negatives that he had here and considering the failures on fourth downs and all that sort of stuff. Uh, teammates could have helped him out a little bit more from what I watched. But definitely a bad game for, for, for Mahomes in this one. Again, the Chiefs are like the offensively are not as strong as they used to be. They used to be head and shoulders kind of above everyone else. And now they're, you know, in the top five, but I'm not sure where they are. I give them a lot of credit for still having Mahomes, but we need to work things out there. Okay, San Francisco, Cincinnati, probably the biggest game as far as like strength of the two teams combined in this one with the Bengals playing better. Um both teams are pretty successful offensively. I think that would be my takeaway is that the 49ers are having some bad luck-ish sort of stuff when it comes to turnovers when they were having phenomenally good luck with Brock Purdy, not throwing interceptions despite having turnover-worthy plays, not losing fumble recoveries. Now they've kind of flown in the opposite direction here. So the 49ers are not as bad as their record has been the last few weeks, and they probably weren't as good as their record was before that. I was more skeptical before. I'm less skeptical now versus what some people people may be saying about the 49ers it also helps the Bengals use their efficiency that they pass at about 11 percent over expectation that's been a great formula for them for pretty much the entire time joe burrow has been there other than the first season where he was just under siege and getting hit way way too much so this is like the best offensive performance by far for the Bengals. You know, we thought the Bengals might be coming back when they had a good performance against the cardinals now we're talking about against the 49ers they were only at barely positive EPA was their best performance before. Now they gained about a quarter point per play, uh, rushing it well and passing it well in this game. Really, really great game for them. Now, Brock Purdy was intercepted on back-to-back -back throws. So those are highly negative because we're talking about one was a situation where it was first and goal from the eight-yard line. Another was on first and 10. So another positive, like, expected points context situation where you really can make mistakes. And he also lost a fumble, but despite all of that, he had positive EPA on the game. So I think what we have to look about with Purdy here is you may say, Oh, he's kind of like the low upside quarterback in some people's minds. He's a system quarterback, but he's actually been a guy where he's put up pretty good numbers. He just has big mistakes the last few weeks. Like his passing EPA at 16 passing EPA. He had 4.4 EPA that he added rushing and scrambling. So we're talking about over 20 EPA, 20 expected points that he added 
on positive plays there, but you go to the fumble, you go to the interceptions, and that's 17 points down the drain. And the sacks, 17 points down the drain, which gets them about net flat, which sometimes can be good enough to win games. I mean, sometimes if you put up a tenth of a point per play, you can win games. Not good enough in this one when Burrow was putting up about half a point, when Burrow is completing completion percentage over expectations about 17%. Now, this was the formula for second half of the year, Burrow, when he really turned things on last year. It was a low A dot, 5.7 yards, high completion percentage over expectation, lots of yak in there, and not making mistakes. Not making many mistakes in this game. So Burrow combined all of those. And it would have been tough to beat the Bengals no matter how well Brock Purdy played in this game. So I think that's also another bit of context where people are going to be high or low on Purdy. Again, he's kind of always been the same guy. He's always been a guy who I think is like a top, playing like a top half type of quarterback. But, you know, not not as good as his numbers, but he's still number one in EPA per play after all this. So if you want to like pound your chest of, ah, I was right being skeptical of Brock Purdy because when he was head and shoulders above everyone else in EPA per play. And now he's only still number one in EPA per play (laughs) as if that like makes you, makes you correct for, for thinking he's uh, uh, a bad quarterback or a very, very mediocre quarterback. Eh, I don't know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't get too high or low in either direction. All right, let's get to the last game Sunday night. What a stinker. Uh, This game was, 83% 83% win probability to start for the Chargers, according to implied betting odds. It went up to 95% at the end of the first quarter at 14-0, and then was 99% at halftime, up 24-7, getting the ball first in the second half. So, not great, Bob. What's interesting about this is the success rate was actually lower for the Chargers than the Bears, but that's because they ran the ball a bunch and were just absolutely trash running the ball in this game. Um, they lost about half a point every single time. They attempted to run the ball. Their 8% success rate running the ball. That's one of the worst I've ever seen. Um, Although a lot of these negatives, again, it came when they were up by so much that it didn't really matter. You know, Eckler failed to convert a fourth and one. Didn't matter. They're up 30 to seven at that point. Uh, Eckler fumbled the ball. Actually, that was after a pass attempt. That was the most negative play in EPA. Didn't matter. They were up 30 to seven at that point. Um, plays that did matter, like a 39-yard catch and run from Eckler, happened when it was 0-0. So that adds a nice little juice to the um, win probability added. I would say on this one, if you're looking at it, Herbert looking good efficiency-wise. He's in the top like 6-7 in the the game right now. His numbers are a little bit overstated in this game because he was at 0.4 EPA per play, which is a you know, above and even MVP seasonal number. He had 7.1 completion percentage over expected, but 4.5 yard a dot, just a ton of yak here, ton of yak. That was where he was, where he's getting all of his value. Um, but on the flip side, you know, the bears defense can't do squat. So no interceptions, no sacks, no fumbles. Tyson, uh, Tyson Bajent, whatever, you know, he's a UDFA. He is who he is. Um, tough game, but horrible situation he was put into being down so much. Uh, okay, so let's talk about Herbert. I want to talk about Herbert MVP for a second. I don't think it's really possible, but 40 to 1. I know the Chargers are 3 and 4. 40 to 1. Maybe if they just like hit some crazy run as far as beating a bunch of high profile teams and games the rest of the season, maybe there's some chance. So think about this. They have four more Island games this year. If he just balls out in those four Island games and they make the playoffs, maybe they have the jets on Monday night next week. They're also going to play at some point in the season, the lions, the Ravens, the bills and the chiefs. So again, it's a, it's a gauntlet that he's going to have to go through. Um, But maybe there's like some outside chance that if he does really well in this gauntlet of games that he can sneak in there and do something. All right, let me see if there's any comments on here that I should address. Uh, otherwise, I'll let you guys get out of here. Uh, dropping in to say, here we go. Dropping in to say that I'm assuming Levis was even better than stats suggest, had a few bad drops and penalties on huge plays. Well, the drops aren't going to be in my stats. Those will be in my adjusted quarterback efficiency numbers. So we'll, we'll you know, wait and see, I guess, on that one. Uh, and, and the penalties, yeah, the penalties would have been in there, but I'm not going to directly attribute those like, I don't give Levis credit for 
penalties. In some ways, you actually give the quarterback credit for like defensive pass interference and things like that in the numbers. Uh, I mean, I'll say that his CPOE, his completion percentage over expected, looked good. It looked better than like the success rate. The success rate was the thing that's I'm a little bit skeptical of, but we'll go and see. But I think it's a very, very positive performance for, for Levis in this game. Uh, going from season to season, what do you think are the most predictive metrics? I was biased hoping slash hoping that adjusted quarterback rating, I guess he's putting in here. Those AQE. Come on, get it right, buddy. No, I'm just kidding. Um, would do this for Daniel Jones, unfortunately. No. Uh, well, the problem is like, is it predictive or is it useful? You know, like the most predictive quarterback metric year over year is, uh, I don't know, height. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, being, I'm being very sarcastic and facetious here, of course. But, you know, that's the problem. I think a lot of people look for the holy grail of um, year over year correlation when sometimes you want to also figure out, like, what is the most impactful thing, right? Um, what is the most meaningful thing in that sort of way? So the most predictive metrics, well, accuracy is more predictive year over year than EPA, than efficiency. So that's why completion percentage over expected has some signal when you combine that with um, EPA. But I think you also just have to have knowledge. Like it's like all models are wrong, but some are useful, as I love to, to say all the time. Like the CPOE is a wrong measure of like how good a quarterback is. And there's definite things that are wrong about it, but like ignoring sacks, ignoring throwaways, I think too, and some other stuff. But it's useful because it's a metric that's stickier year over year than something like EPA per play. EPA per play is going to capture a lot more of what a quarterback's doing, but it'll be less sticky. So I don't know, probably CPOE would be the one that I would say you could kind of stick with for year over year, along with sack rate and things like that. But that's like a component of, of things. Uh, just about Graham Cano, Cano, he needs knee surgery. Oh, yeah, well, that, that that's going to hurt your kicking performance. Also regarding EPA per play, should we count negative EPA against play callers for calling runs? If they are in a below expected passing offense, calling runs at the pass is worse than average, maybe smart. Yeah, it's always like trying to thread the needle of trying to figure out like if an offense has performed poorly this season, it doesn't mean you can say, oh, let's say passing the ball, right? Or and better rushing the ball. It doesn't mean that that should be like your baseline expectation going forward. So let's say for the commanders, right? Like what should your baseline expectation be going forward for their passing and rushing efficiency? It's not necessarily what they've done so far. You can't just say, well, they've been better rushing the ball versus passing the ball. So therefore you should be, it's bad to pass the ball a lot. Well, you have to really look to see like, what is your best prediction for how well they're going to pass the ball going forward using the evidence that we have. Um, so I think I'd still like teams to pass the ball more, even if their numbers so far this year haven't, haven't stayed up, uh, unless we're talking about like a Zach Wilson type of situation where we can be pretty confident that, you know, he's just bad. Uh, can you explain how you calculate success rate? Yeah. Success rate is pretty, pretty simple for me. It's just, I look at the expected points added on the play. If it is above zero, it's a success. You get a success, thumbs up on the play. If it's below zero, you get a thumbs down on the play. And then you just take the, the average of getting ones or zeros, basically, on those plays. And that's your success rate. Uh, also, I know you've explained it in previous pods, but how can a touchdown play result in more than seven EPA? Is it the field position after kickoff? No. So, well, okay. So, theoretically, offensively, you could be in a negative expected point situation so let's remember epa per play is your expected points before the play subtracted from your expected points after the play okay so i guess theoretically like offensively you could be in a negative expected point situation let's say you were it was fourth and 20 on your own five yard line generally the other team's going to score first so you're in a negative expected point situation so then if you score a touchdown and that's a plus seven for a touchdown, then you're then it's the plus seven minus a negative number to start off with. So you get more than seven. Um, and that's when it comes to pick sixes and turnovers in particular is when you're looking at, you're, you're in first and 10 situation, let's say. First and 10 situation, you have something like two expected points because you're starting the drive and you know that's what you're going to average on, on drives. 
So you start with two expected points. You throw a pick six. You gave the other team seven points. You started with two points. Boom. You have nine points, a negative nine points. So that's how it could be more than seven points. Um, but a positive more than seven points, you'd have to be coming from a situation where you're in a negative expected points uh, context, which can happen. It doesn't happen a ton, though. It'd have to be like a very long third, third and long or fourth or something like that when you're in a bad situation. Um, success rate is percentage of plays with the EPA above zero. Correct. Okay, you got that. that that's someone answering that. So I appreciate uh, Trevor jumping in here to answer that one. All right, that's all the comments that I have here. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. I'll be back at you on Friday. Go to expectedpoints.substack.com. Check out all the write-ups, all the stuff there. I appreciate the support from everyone out there. And I'll be talking at everyone on Friday morning. Mm-hmm.